Assalamu alaikum, this is Abdurrahman Murphy, and you're listening to the newest Heartwork series, Finding Meaning in Trial. In this series, we'll be exploring an upcoming publication that I'm working on, translating and commenting on the beautiful short text of Al-Izz bin Abdussalam called The Benefits of Trials. In this series, we'll be exploring some of the meanings and some of the benefits of trials in our lives as given to us by Al-Izz bin Abdussalam. He gives us some of the good things that we seek in life that can only come from the bad moments that we experience in life. I look forward to joining you on this series, inshallah, and having you with us. And as always, if you benefit from our work, please consider donating and becoming a sustainer at rootsdfw.org slash sustain. Assalamu alaikum. Bismillah. Bismillah walhamdulillah. Wa salatu wassalamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Welcome home, everybody. It's good to see you, alhamdulillah. For a second yesterday, for a second, I thought we were going to have another Monday off. Because, uh, you know, it was like hovering around 34 degrees. It was raining. But, alhamdulillah, it was just rain, not snow or ice. Alhamdulillah. Um, how's everybody? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Tonight is going to be the session where we learn to say alhamdulillah. Um, because one of the lessons from this book that we're reading is about the concept of uh, shukr. And we went over it last week or two weeks ago a little bit, but I wanted to reverse a little bit and then move forward because there was some, uh, there's a methodology that's presented by the author about how to develop gratitude, right? Because like we said, gratitude is something that um, it's easy. It comes naturally in times where you feel gracious and you feel like things are going your way but whenever times are not going your way whenever things are not going the way that you want is difficult right it's difficult to be grateful so the author provides some context and he wants us to have a better understanding of what it means to truly be grateful right so there's levels to gratitude you can't just say i'm a grateful person you have to start asking how grateful am i right to what degree of gratitude do I experience in my life towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And as Allah in the Quran says, That if you are grateful, I will give you more. And this verse, interestingly, there's two readings of it. And both of them are correct. But they're actually really interesting. So the first reading of the verse is, And the ziyadah here that Allah is mentioning is, Whatever it was that made you grateful you will get more of that. So for example, if you had a good meal and you say Alhamdulillah and you're grateful to Allah, then you'll have more good meals, right? Gratitude begets more blessings according to this reading of the verse. But another reading of the verse, which doesn't contradict, it's beautiful, it's just like an added layer, is And the ziyadah here is actually gratitude itself. And this is one of the powerful ways that the Qur'an sort of has layers. You read it one way and it's correct. You read it another way and it's also correct. And what does that mean? When a person has gratitude and displays their gratitude, Allah will give them more gratitude. Because gratitude makes a person realize just how blessed they are. If I sit here and I think about my eyesight, for example or my ability to speak, or my ability to hear. If you think of any of the senses that Allah has given you, or if you think of any of the blessings Allah has given you, 
once you come to a, I don't want to say complete, because Allah in the Quran elsewhere says, that if you tried to count the blessing of Allah singularly, you would never be able to understand it. So we can't even say accurately that, you know what, I fully acknowledge this blessing. Because you don't fully acknowledge it. Because you still have life to live. Right? Imagine saying that I fully understand, I fully understand the blessing of eyesight before you were able to see Bucky's. You guys haven't gone to Bucky's? Okay, you're like, it's not that great. Okay. Imagine, imagine saying I fully grasp the blessing of such and such before you were able to benefit from this thing. So as you get older, as you live life, as you have more experiences, the same old faculties that you thought you understood gratitude with regards to, now as Allah increases you in your life and your experiences, what increases naturally your gratitude does, right? So that's the first reading. But the second reading, which is amazing, which is a grateful person loves the feeling of being grateful to Allah. Gratitude is a feeling that is in the best way addictive, Right? The more that a person feels grateful, the more that they want to feel grateful. The less they want to complain. Try it. Try it. The next time you feel like complaining, try instead going to a state of gratitude and seeing what happens. All of the momentum that you feel about complaining will be reversed slowly. That momentum will shift. And instead of going in that direction, it will turn back in the other direction. And as it turns back in that direction, you'll feel the momentum for gratitude increasing and increasing. And that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. So, in this book about finding meaning in trial, Al-Iz bin Abdul Salam, rahimahullah, he says that one of the blessings that a person has when they experience trial is that they feel a sense of gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When the calamity happens, this is so interesting. They feel gratitude, not after, but when the calamity happens. What's the difference? Who can explain the difference? Gratitude after versus gratitude immediately when it happens. What's the difference? Anybody? Well, let me ask this question. When is it easier to be grateful? Much after, right? Because why? Huh? Okay, maybe it's ended, but let's say it hasn't ended. Let's say that it continues. Why would it be easier to be grateful after or later as opposed to immediately? Huh? Hindsight. Okay, good. The shock has worn off. The process. You're able to invite perspective in now. The dust has settled. Right? You're able to see the silver linings. Okay? And that's fine. That's good. We all, every Muslim should have that ability. Right? And that's where the hadith, Ajaban li amr al-mu'min, that how strange is the affair of the believer that no matter what Allah gives them, they're in a good state. They're either patient or they're grateful to Allah because they realize that it's going to be okay. But one thing that we see here is that the, the height of patience and gratitude is when a person doesn't have to wait to see it. When you don't have to wait to see it, what does it mean about your relationship with that person? So, yeah, exactly. Trust. If you have a good relationship with somebody and you trust them and they tell you, let's go out to dinner, you don't have to investigate where we're going. And if you feel like they know you and they love you and they, they want the best for you, you, don't, you never have to ask. Let's go eat. Khalas, let's go. Right? Don't even ask where. You know it's going to be a place that you like. Because why? This person knows you. Now, who knows you better than Allah? 
Allah Ta'ala knows you better. He created you, right? He's the one who fashioned you and created you. And So when a person goes through difficulty, the pious person is able to instantly find a place of gratitude because they say what? This is Allah. This is Allah doing this. This is Allah who gave me this. This is Allah who put this in my path. And because I know that Allah put this in my path, again, the person is not saying I know exactly what's going to happen. Because then what, what, what does that mean? It means you're relying on your faculties again. You're not relying on your iman, you're relying on your senses again. Ah, uh, if I as long as I can see how this plays out, as long as I can see how this plays out, then what? Then I'm okay with Allah. No. The pious person, the one who is close to Allah, is the one who is okay or loving of Allah, trusting of Allah. In fact, they have no clue how it's gonna play out. They have no clue. But that person is so close to Allah that they have certainty in the destination, they just don't know what the road is to get there. But that's okay, they don't need to know. I'm fine not knowing, right? A lot of us are okay with technology that lets Elon Musk tell our cars how to drive, right? And some people turn it on and then they, they look at their phones or they you know, close their eyes or they disconnect or unplug, right? You trust in a, a machine or another human being but you have to trust in Allah. You have to have that trust in Allah. So being grateful when? At the onset of the calamity. Why? Because he says of the many benefits that it contains. He says, مِنْ فَوَائِدِهَا كَمَا يَشْكُرُ الْمَرِيدُ الطَّبِيبَ الْقَاتِعَ لِأَطْرَافِهِ He says, just like, now I know this is a little bit intense, but I need you guys to imagine for a second that you have a condition. You have a medical emergency and you walk into the, 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 the ER, or you're taken to the ER, and you're sitting there in front of the doctor, in front of the team, and there's a surgeon who comes in, and the surgeon says, hey, you know what? We have to amputate a piece of your hand. We have to take off one of your fingers, or we have to amputate one of your, a piece of your foot, one of your toes. But if we don't do this, I know this is shocking, if we don't do this, you're going to lose the whole limb, if not your life. Now, obviously, nobody wants to lose a piece of their body at all. But when put in the context of what is at stake, what's at risk, what do you do? You actually start to beg the doctor to do the amputation. They say, you know what? If we don't amputate this pinky finger, you're going to lose your whole arm. You say, please, take it. Butter knife, doesn't matter. Because why? Because you now weighed against the entire risk. And, you, and in your head, you're like, look, I would rather, you know, impress little kids at Eid parties for the rest of my life than not have anything, subhanAllah. And so he says, like, imagine this. The patient wakes up from surgery. And the patient looks at their hand and says, thank you. Thank you. To who? To the one that just cut off a piece of your body. Why are you saying thank you though? Because you understood that had they not done this, something much worse would have happened. Something much worse would have come. Maybe not then, but later. Maybe not then, but much later. And so he says, you are grateful at the onset of the calamity. This is comparable, he says, to the person who is sick, thanking the doctor who just took off one of the piece of their body, their limbs to save their life, even though he says... He says, He says that, or uh, he says, sorry, Even though this person 
is recognizing that this is going to disable them to some extent. I won't be able to do the things that I used to do, but at least I have my life. At least I have what I have. And I'm going to be very level with everybody here about this understanding. Many of us do not like this, but this is, it, it, it's, it's, it's a little bit of spiritual spoiledness, a little bit of an entitlement, right? Nobody likes to be told to look on the brighter side of anything because we love to wallow in the anger, in the frustration. But to sit there and wallow in misery, it does not give opportunity to anybody but shaitan. Anybody. To sit there and talk about how bad my life is, how horrible this is, how much I hate this, how much this, this, this. I mean, even think about the acronyms that we use. Somebody's asking you something, you say what? FML. Right? I see a lot of guilty smiles. We've been there. But think about what that phrase extends to mean. Sorry for those of you who are trying to get the perfect clip and now you're like, okay, my mom watches my Instagram, right? Maybe she doesn't know what it means. Think about the extension of what that phrase means. Really? 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 I just ordered this and it came, and instead of this, it came with this, FML. Really? SubhanAllah. Oh, so... so you asked for the sauce on the side and they put it on? F your life because of that? You have food in front of you? You have, you're sitting in a, a place of shelter, of warmth, of cool, depending on what time. You have a car, you have clothes, you have health, you have a home. Really? Because that one thing went wrong. You know, subhanAllah, in another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ is describing one of the most ungrateful people. You know what he describes them as? It's such a powerful description. He says this person could have everything go right in their life, but the minute one thing goes wrong, they say what? Nothing has gone right in my life ever. A lot of us are feeling the heat rising not to our face because we feel that guilt. And it's okay. Allow the guilt to be there. It washes away the bad characteristics. Remorse, guilt, regret. These are things that make tawbah possible. Everyone say astaghfirullah. We ask Allah to forgive us. Why? Because we don't even realize how ungrateful we have been when we complain about things that other people are literally begging Allah for. Any capacity. And so he says, the person that realizes this, when they compare what is at stake or what could have been otherwise this person becomes grateful to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that in that moment they say alhamdulillah because again they realize that this is going to give them some benefit what is some of the benefits he mentions next he says al-hadiyat he says tamhisu hal al-dhunub al-khataya he says that subhanallah one of the reasons why you might say alhamdulillah one of the reasons why I mean, all, we've gone over them, a lot of these, right? But he starts, he keeps adding to the list now. And he says, because you realize in that moment that maybe this is a means of Allah cleansing for you the sins that you carry. Maybe there's no like dunya benefit. You can't understand it. Maybe there's nothing. Like some people, you kind of understand, okay, maybe it's this. Maybe this, per this person, the, the, the proposal didn't go, right? I was supposed to get married. It didn't work out. And maybe, subhanAllah, it wasn't going to work out in the long run, so Allah saved it early on. There's a lot of nodding happening. Okay. It's not that kind of session. But okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's okay. And that's good, right? Again, at the end of the day, what did we, we ask Allah? Oh, Allah, don't put me in charge of myself for even the blink of an eye because I don't want to make my decisions 
right? Why do we do istikhara? We do istikhara because as much as we think we know, Allah knows. And so we just pass it on to Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says, if you can't use the difficulty that you're in to feel a sense of, I mean, what the other 11 things that we've talked about so far, he says, then at the very minimum, and this is exactly what Ibn Abbas, he said, he said, at least the trial that you're experiencing, at least, even if you have no other reason to think about it, is cleansing you from the sins that you would have in the next life. And this is something that the Prophet ﷺ, he mentions. There's an entire chapter in Sahih Bukhari. There's an entire chapter in this massive compilation of ahadith, authenticated narrations of the Prophet ﷺ, in which it's called Kitab al-Sabr, the chapter of patience. And in this chapter, the way to develop patience, patience meaning what? Perspective when you're being tested, is to think about the outcome, the perspective of the outcome. Okay, so in one narration, Abdullah, uh, Abdullah bin Abbas, who was one of the relatives of the Prophet وسلم, he said that he visited the Prophet and he says, I came to him and he was very, very sick. It's interesting because when we think about the Prophet's life, we normally don't think of him in vulnerable situations. He was very ill. He had an extremely high fever. Okay. By the way, Sheikh Mikail is sick right now, so we ask Allah to give him shifa. He's had a fever the last two days. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to give him a cure, inshallah, so that we can have hurdles this Wednesday, inshallah. So, I mean, so that he's healthy. <laughs> and then I'm sure everybody here would also like to attend hurdles on Wednesday, but we'd like to see him healthy, inshallah. Woo, okay, yes, there we go. So he says that he visited the Prophet Wasallam, and he says, uh, that he was with a very, very severe fever. And he says, Ya Rasulullah, he goes, you have a very high fever. And then he asked him, listen to his question. He said, Qultu, in Is the fever because, Ya Rasulullah, you are destined for higher rewards? Which is basically his way of saying, are you tested more than us? You have a worse fever than I've ever seen in my life. Is it because everything you do is multiplied? And thus, because everything you do is multiplied, every difficulty you go through is kind of commensurate with that? And he said, Ajal, ma min muslimin yusibuhu adhan illa hatallahu anhu khatayahu. He says that, yes. It is not the case that Allah ever tests a believer with anything or afflicts them with a sickness or a harm except what? Hata. Hata means to uh, cause something to fall off of something else. Hata Allahu anhu khatayahu. All of the sins that you carry when you're in that affliction are falling off. Kama tahatu waraku ashajri. Just like when you're driving past a tree and the wind blows and it's the fall time. I know in Dallas that's like 38 hours. We have fall for like this much. But when you're driving past and you see the leaves shaking off of the tree and it's just fluttering down, go type it. Look it up. Look it up on Google. Type in YouTube, leaves falling off of a tree. And think about any difficulty that Allah has placed into your life, into your path. When you encounter that difficulty, every single sin that you've committed is being shaken off of you. And every sin is falling. And you walk out of that difficulty looking like a brand new person spiritually. So again, it's that perspective. 
The Prophet ﷺ, he could have said, Oh Allah, take this from me. Oh Allah, don't let me get sick. Oh Allah, I'm a messenger. When I'm sick, I'm not able to go and teach or be there or answer. But subhanAllah, you see him what? He's teaching his companion, his student, that when you get sick, it's not for nothing. When you have difficulty, it's not for nothing. Many of us, we get sick, even like the slightest sickness, congestion, cough, whatever, and we say what? My day is ruined. No, it's not. Maybe Allah, <laughs> on top of the fact that he's cleansing you from sins, maybe he's protecting you from doing or saying or being places that would have made him upset. And so because of that, now you can't go out. Now you're not going to go to that place that you know was not going to make him happy. Right? And so because of that, Allah Ta'ala protected you. And this, there's tons of narrations in this chapter in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, or the Prophet tells us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us reward from this, from these moments. Now, the ayah he quotes is he says, وَمَا أَصَابَكُمْ مِن مُصِيبَةٍ فَبِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِيكُمْ This is from uh, 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 Surah Al-Shura. He says that, and nothing afflicts you this is a, a verse in the Quran. وَمَا أَصَابَكُمْ مِن مُصِيبَةٍ فَبِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِيكُمْ That nothing afflicts you in your life, the afflictions that you have, except that, and there's a couple different readings of this, that you have a culpability in how you respond to that. You control that moment. So this musiba, everybody's going to be tested, but what makes it something that is accountable against you versus for you is how you respond. So everybody has to deal with the, 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 the curse of bad Dallas drivers. May Allah protect us. How you respond, right? Whether someone's cutting you off and you give them this finger, the thumb, or another one, right? Close to the shahada finger, but not. That is how you respond in that situation. And believe it or not, in that moment, Allah is testing you. You might think that it's insignificant. You might think that it means nothing. I'm just going to work. Who cares? Allah really cares if I do this? Yeah, of course. Because that was an inconvenience. That was a difficulty. And how you respond. This is why the Prophet ﷺ was so beautiful. When people inconvenienced him or hurt him, he would say what? He would never say, I hate this person. He would never say, let's get him. He would say what? SubhanAllah. That's what he would say. He would just go to Allah. He would immediately go to Allah. Why? Because it's not befitting of a messenger of Allah to start going at somebody. Right? He'd rather just hand it off to Allah. I'm going to give this matter to Allah. That's it. He'll handle it for me. And so he says, subhanAllah, in the Quran, that the test that you're given, you have the control. But here's another understanding of this verse. And this one's going to turn from heartwork to heartbreak. Okay, so you ready? How many of the tests in your life, and be honest, are you responsible for? How many of the tests in my life, am I the reason I have those tests? See, this is interesting because Allah tells us that we'll be tested and some tests absolutely are out of our control. Some tests, they just happen. But many tests, it's not one or the other. It was that there was a circumstance, there was a situation, and we compounded it. We made it worse. So people will come and say, you know, Ustad, I was talking to somebody for four or five years, and we were wanting to get married, and we were in love, and it didn't work out. And now I'm heartbroken. I can't think of anybody else. 
And my heart goes out. And there's actually a line of poetry that he quotes, and I'll tell you at the end for all you sappy, hopeless romantics. It's actually a very interesting line that he quotes. But can I ask the very obvious question? Did Allah and his messenger not teach us the right way to go about things? Did they not? They did. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught us how to go about this process. When you love somebody, when you want to love somebody. And the Prophet gave us the method. We might have broken rules and thus we open the door to more musibah. And now that I've placed my, myself under that burden, I thought I could carry all of it. I broke and now I say, why would God do this to me? No, 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 no. That's not fair. That's not right. Sure, everybody is tested. The attraction, the love, the interest, whatever. But Allah Ta'ala did not tell you that you could text till three in the morning. His messenger did not tell you that you should go out and have dates. These were methods that they gave us to what? Protect ourselves so that we don't put ourselves in situations where years later we say, how am I ever going to get through this? Right? Now, I'm telling you, I'm not trying to become like the least popular Muslim in Dallas, Texas tonight. But I, we have to be honest. We have to be honest. Okay? I'll give another one that's less sensitive because I'm seeing a lot of angry faces. Okay. <laughs> Missing Fajr. We miss Fajr. Or we miss any prayer. Is, is, do some of us have less time in a day? Do, did Allah give 24 hours to some people and then... No. When, I, when I'm late for a prayer, who do I have to blame? It's me. It's not anybody else. Just because I stayed up late watching something, scrolling. Now, oh, Fedra's too hard. Uh-uh. Come on now. Because when you want to catch that flight to vacation, you are up. And if you have a Middle Eastern or Desi parent, you are up, up, up. Right? <laughs> or Dhuhr. If you had a lunch meeting, you would be there. But now all of a sudden, Dhuhr, which there's a large window of time to make it, is too much. You guys get where I'm going with this? So, and this is how, because we're not being honest with how we contribute to our own problems. You guys ever seen that meme where the guy's riding the bike and then sticks the stick in the wheel and then falls over and then complains about what? No, it was me. I'm the one that caused myself to fall and trip and stumble. So that's what he says. It is what you have done with your own hands. But you know what's beautiful? This is where Allah, incredible. You know what the next three words are? Allah Ta'ala says, and he pardons and forgives abundantly. So it doesn't matter if you broke the rules for the last five years. Yes, you might have to get over it. It might take some repair. It might even take some therapy. It might take good friends. It might take you building yourself up back again. Sure. But you know what it doesn't take? It does not take you scrambling and petitioning and begging for a Lord that will not forgive you because he says what? He will forgive you. So even in the midst of your greatest mistakes that you yourself caused, this is incredible. No other creature or institution forgives you. But Allah already pre-promised his forgiveness for you. If you forgot to return something to the library, they will never forget. They're like the IRS. They know. And those fees compound. Toll tags? My goodness. I'm willing to bet, betting's haram, I'm willing to pledge that 93% of people in this room have a toll tag letter in their mailbox today. I'm from, a, from, from 18 years ago, when you were four, you weren't even driving, right? 
these things don't forgive. They don't forget. Allah actually does not forget, right? Allah actually does not forget, but he forgives even though he does not forget, subhanAllah. He knows every mistake you've made, every vulnerability you have, every regret that you have, but he says, He will forgive you abundantly if you come back to him. You have to own up to it though. A person has to come to Allah and say, Oh Allah, this is me. I messed up. I messed up. And that's why in Islam we're taught, own our own shortcomings. If I can't, if I'm not there where I'm praying my five daily salah, I don't say things like, this is too hard or why or we don't. No, I say what? I'm working on it. If I don't yet wear the hijab, right? I don't say it's not part of Islam. This not, I say, what? Well, I'm working on it. Inshallah, I hope to be able to achieve that one day. Inshallah. Say inshallah. Because we all should aspire to get closer to Allah. Whatever that looks like. And by the way, I picked ones that are, but we all have our demons. Everybody. Just because some are more visible than others does not mean that you don't have them. We should never ever look at somebody. Isa, uh, Isa ibn Maryam, uh, he said, The moment you want to point out someone else's mistake, remind you of your own mistake. Another narration, oh no, the Prophet said that. Isa ibn Maryam, he said in another narration that when you point one finger at somebody, you have three pointing back at you. So for every time you want to point somebody else's flaw, look at your own. Look at your own. Because if I'm, if I'm obsessed with my own flaws, I will have no time to point out someone else's flaws. I have enough to, cut, to care for myself. And then he says in the book, he continues, he quotes a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. He says, وَلَا يُصِيبُ الْمُؤْمِنَ وَصْبٌ وَلَا نَصْبٌ حَتَّى الْهَمِّ يُهِمُّهُ وَالشَّوْكَةِ يُشَاكُهَا إِلَّا كَفَّرَ بِهِ عَنْ سَيْئَاتِهِ That he says that, and this is the narration that I think I quoted a couple weeks ago, where he says that a person, a believer, does not experience any level of difficulty, whether it is grief, anxiety, whether it is a, a thought that is bothering them. Right? That they have this hem, this grief, or even the prick of a thorn, the slightest discomfort or inconvenience. You trip and stumble. You stub your toe, which is like a major injury now, right? You, you, you get a paper cut. Something that causes even the slightest bit of pain. And what happens? Allah Ta'ala will expiate. He will forgive. He will cleanse you of the sins that you have. So you're sitting here in the trial, in the fitna that you have, whatever it is, and instead of thinking about all of the delay and all of the disturbance that you're going through, think about maybe this is Allah, right? This 30-minute delay for my flight, maybe this is Allah giving me 30 minutes of just washing my heart from all the sins that I committed. Maybe today because of that, I have no sins now in my book. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Absolutely, it should be worth it. The next one he says, and we'll go to this one. He says, "Rahmatu ahl al-bala'i wa musa'atuhum ala balwahum." He says that the next benefit, and this is again for the next person that wants to think about why am I being put through this difficulty, is he says, "You now have mercy for people, ahl al-bala." the people that are being put through trials and you want to help them 
with their difficulties when you see them going through trial. He said, and then he quotes a narration, النَّاسُ مُعَفَى وَمُبْتَلَى فَأَرْحَمُوا أَهْلَ الْبَلَاءِ وَاشْكُرُوا اللَّهَ عَلَى الْعَافِيَةِ Okay, we're going to go over this one step at a time, inshaAllah. The narration that he quotes is actually part of a longer narration. And I want to share this with you because it's actually something very, very beautiful. So this is some advice that was given. And the advice, I'm going to pull up the narration right here on my laptop, excuse me, just for one second. Here we go. Boom. Got it. Okay. He says, Malik ibn Anas, he said. So this is advice about this situation. He says, لا تكثروا الكلام بغير ذكر الله. This is just general advice. Don't ever say a lot of things. Don't talk a lot. Except that in the middle of your speech, you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You mention the name of Allah. Okay? So when we talk, when we say things, we should always what? We should put in the name of Allah. This is why, you know, Muslims, we have like these phrases. Alhamdulillah, inshallah, mashallah. These are things that Allahumma barik, Allahumma taqabal minna. Like we always have these phrases. And if you've ever heard like two Arabs speak to each other, they can volley like tennis for 30 minutes like this. Right? And it's just, if you translate a conversation, it's very interesting because the beginning and the end is just six minutes of prayers for each other, right? Invoking Allah's name. But that's the sign of a pious heart. Why? Because the pious person realizes that this, whatever I'm talking about right here, it's all from Allah. The ability to speak, the ability to recognize it, whatever it is. So he says, uh, And then he says, because if a person goes through life without mentioning Allah's name, it actually hardens their heart. Because they don't remember Allah, their heart becomes dry and hard. I don't know if many of you guys like in the past few days have started to have like dry skin and chapped lips. And what do you have to do? Right? You have to... <laughs> it's actually a funny story. Yeah, exactly. Put lotion, right? Drop the skincare routine, Abbas. All right, okay. You have to put lotion and you actually have to moisturize. Scholars have actually literally used the phrase, keep moist the tongue with the remembrance of Allah. They've actually used that verb because something that is dry is uncomfortable. If a person's lips get chapped, they're uncomfortable. They can actually become painful. You know, subhanAllah, <laughs> my, my son, he, uh, so in this cold weather, He's, I'm from Chicago, so this is kind of like not too cold. But he was born in Plano, so this is freezing. This is Antarctica for him. So we have this little space heater, and he sits right in front of it. It's set at like 79, and he's just baking. It's like a crock pot. He's just he's slow cooking his body. And so all of a sudden, subhanAllah, it was so funny. Like that's, that's the context of the story. Now we fast forward like a week or two since it's been cold, or a week since it's been cold. And Miskeen, like he had at school randomly just a bloody nose. And he's like, what's going on? And you know, for a kid that's scary, he's six years old, he's like, what's happening? And then at home, he, uh, uh, same thing happened the next day, he had a bloody nose. And my wife and I are sitting here trying to figure out, like, what's going on? Do we call the doctor? Like, should we be concerned? And then we called one of our doctor friends, pediatrician, and she said, does he sit in front of a heater? And we looked over and he's literally sitting like this, 
in front of a heater and he's like, and his nose is basically touching the grating. Like he's just inhaling hot air. And we're like, yeah, we got it. We just hung up, right? So we're like, Baba, you can't dry your nose out like that, you know? But now think of the effect of what he's saying, the dried heart. So the organ or the lips or whatever, it's sensitive, it's painful, it becomes, it becomes not useful, not enjoyable. The heart that you have to feel everything, to feel the gratitude for Allah, to feel the closeness to Him, to feel this sense of connection to Him, when you dry it out because you don't remember His name at all, subhanAllah, then what? الْقَلْبُ الْقَاسِي It's far away. It's like you can see the most obvious blessing from Allah and you won't recognize it. But a person whose heart is like very, very remembrant of Allah, they'll be able to find the blessing of Allah in anything. I saw a scholar on Instagram. He posted, you guys know the Krispy Kreme conveyor belt? This is Sheikh Abdullah Anik Misra. He posted the Krispy Kreme conveyor belt. You guys know what I'm talking about? Speaking about fitness, right? That thing is a fitna. Okay, so Krispy Kreme in general. He posted it. And he wrote some like long reflection about this is how the heart of a believer is prepared. First it's molded, shaped, then it's, co- then it's covered. And I was like, you know, half of me was like, Sheikh, that's kind of a stretch. But then half of me said, maybe he's just able to see Allah more than I am. Like imagine being a person that you can go to a restaurant, you can go to a dessert place, you can go anywhere and you just see Allah, meaning not literally, but you just see how Allah has given you that. And I said, maybe it's not for him to feel embarrassed, but me. Because I'm sitting here saying, okay, Sheikh. And he's like, no, I just remember Allah wherever I am. Right? SubhanAllah. So a heart that is, that is remembrant of Allah, that remembers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says that it is uh, uh, close to Allah. وَلَكِنْ الْقَلْبِ الْقَاسِي مِنَ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَلَكِنْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ And he says the worst part is the person doesn't even realize it until it's too late. Doesn't even realize that the heart is hard until it's too late. It's like uh, 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 the, the, the disappointment you have when you're trying to make a sandwich or have bread and it's dry and crumbly. You're like, it's too late now. Or you pour the cereal and there's no milk. It's too late now. What do you do? Right? And when it's too late, you can't even fix it. You can't, you can't alter it. Everything is what it is. Ibn Al-Skandari, he says in his hikam, or uh, in his book, Taj al-Arus, he says, don't be the person who forgets Allah just like the one who forgets to fill his water bottle. And he goes, in the middle of the desert, when you're thirsty and you try to grab your water bottle, he says, what? And it's empty. You're like, oh no, I'm doomed because I'm in the desert, there's no water. And he says, a person who forgets to remember Allah when they need him the most, but they don't remember him in between, they try to call upon him and they say, what? I feel like I can't connect with Allah. May Allah protect us from having a heart that is far from Him. Then he says, Don't look at people's mistakes as if you are their Lord. As if you are their Lords. So don't look at others. As if you are somebody that is better than somebody else. This is a very difficult thing to to master. It's so hard. It's so hard to look at people with no judgment, with no assumptions. It happens all the time. It happens to everybody. It happens with wealth. It happens with status. It happens with achievements. It happens with religion. 
What did Shaytan do? Shaytan's first major mistake that he made is what? He identified himself as better than somebody. I'm better. Why? You made me from fire, you made him from clay, you made him from dirt. Walking around, assuming that you're better than somebody is a very, very serious disease of the heart. May Allah protect us. And he says, this is from uh, Isa ibn Maryam. He says, don't walk around thinking that you're better than people. He says, fiha abidun. He says, look at everybody around you as if all of you are servants of Allah together. When you're working on a project with teammates, you're not better than them, you're with them. You see them as having talents and skills and abilities that you need help with. And then he says, nasu rajulan. This is where the quote comes from. He says, every person is but two people. All of humanity is in one of two categories. He said, mubtalan wa mu'afan. He said, you're either in a state of difficulty because you're being tested or you're in a state of ease because Allah has given you a moment or a time of ease and, and, and prosperity. So he says, فَأَرْحَمُوا أَهْلَ الْبَلَاءِ Have mercy upon those people that are being tested. You know what this means? SubhanAllah. It means when you see someone going through a test, never, ever, ever do any of what he just said. <laughs> never, ever make judgment about their test. Never look at them and say, See, look at what you've done. This is your fault. Never, ever, ever. What is our job when we see people being tested? Have mercy on people. Be there for them. Help get them out of the test. You know, in English we have a saying, don't kick somebody when they're down. Don't put salt on the wound. That's not how we operate. Name me one narration where the Prophet ﷺ went to somebody and kicked them while they were down to make a point. Name, give me one narration. Give me one hadith. Where the, even weak, where the Prophet ﷺ went and he took somebody and saw them and he said, see, you're the problem. <laughs> we have Bil'aqs, we have the opposite. The Prophet ﷺ would go to somebody that clearly made their own mistake, clearly, and he would say, it's okay. It's okay, come on. Right? There was a person, subhanAllah, and a lot of us don't realize this. Medina was very interesting of the Prophet ﷺ. There was a man in Medina. There was a man in the marketplace of Medina. This hadith in Sahih Bukhari. He had this moment. He had this moment of being overwhelmingly attracted to this woman. And she did too. And so he actually ended up kissing her. And he felt guilty. They weren't married. He felt guilty. So where did he go? He went to the Prophet ﷺ. He told the Messenger of Allah ﷺ what he had done. Okay, I want you guys to imagine this. He went to the Prophet ﷺ and told him what he had done. The Prophet ﷺ looked at him and he asked him a few questions. And this is, by the way, the standard protocol for the Prophet ﷺ. He said, okay, you know, uh, did, you, did you like black out? Did you like pass out and like fall on her and like your lips touched her? Like what? <laughs> and, and no, and you're laughing, but I want you to realize why you're laughing because it's so like far out. But that's the Prophet, the, all the commentators on this hadith, they said the same thing. The Prophet ﷺ had a beautiful habit of trying to give people escape routes. Remember the woman who committed zina and she was pregnant? And he kept sending her away, deliver the child, nurse the child. He kept sending her away as if to say what? The hadith says, don't come back. Don't come back. 
I don't want you to get this punishment. Don't come back. If you guys haven't read the hadith, it's a long discussion. But she kept wanting to for her own, that was her own disposition. So in this is the same scenario. He's trying to give this man a way out. Did you like, uh, did you fall asleep? Like, did you like, what happened? No, Ya Rasulullah, I did. Were you forced? No, no, it was all, it was all on me. Okay, consensually, it was all on me. The Prophet says, okay, we'll deal with it after Asr. The Adhan for Asr is called, they pray Asr. After the prayer, the Prophet turns around, he says, which one of you came to see me before the prayer? Do you, okay, let's just pause. How many of you would be able to remember the face of a person, especially in this scenario, for 10 minutes? Pretty much everybody, right? The Prophet turns around and says, which one of you came to see me before the prayer and asked me about that thing? What's he doing again? I'm not, by the way, this isn't Abdurrahman Murphy. This is the commentators, thousand-year-old Mashaikh writing. This is the Prophet giving him a chance to what? I don't know who was it. Which one of y'all came and asked that embarrassing question about kissing that? I mean, uh, literally giving him a chance. Like, just don't say anything. Just go. Just go. make tawbah and go. The guy goes, it was me, Ya Rasulullah. <laughs> Prophet said, come. He said, okay. He goes, did you make wudu? Yes. Did you pray asr with us? Yes. Go. Allah has forgiven you. This is, this, this is the Prophet that I studied about, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And this is why when you read these words, فَأَرْحَمُوا أَهْلَ الْبَلَىٰ Be merciful upon those people that are being... There's no reason, there's no reason that a person should be so harsh on somebody. Right? There's very few moments, concessions, but there's conditions for those. It has to be in private. It has to be with good... You have to make sure that the person's going to respond well. Imam Nawi, he says in his book where he comments on commanding good and forbidding evil, he says, if you... Being harsh with somebody is going to push them further away from Allah. It's haram for you to be harsh with them. Because you're doing it for your own ego. You're not doing it for them. Have mercy on people that are being tested. When you see someone being tested, have mercy upon them. I'll tell you one last story and then we'll keep going. <laughs> Today, um, so my kids come home from school. And when they come home, it, uh, subhanAllah, it's like they start just tearing off clothes and leaving a trail like if i were to walk in after them i can see exactly what their afternoon was like there's one shoe here one shoe here sweater here this here hat there backpack here uh box of chips then you know uh this the bowl of corn chips on the couch and then i see my son like this just eating i'm able to like write the entire historical narrative based off of what i see his trail okay so today my daughter comes in. I was at home early. So my daughter comes in the house. They came a little bit later. And my wife just gently told her, like, Iman, just put your shoes in the box. We have a box of shoes for each kid. Put your shoes in the box. And she goes, no. And you know, like the half Egyptian in me was like, <laughs> right? Because that, <laughs> I was like, why is my hand shaking and moving like this? A lot of trauma laughter happening right now. So, okay. So, I look and I'm like, and my wife was like, and we just looked at each other. And she's like, no, very, very stern. And, I, and she's like, she's like four. So then I'm like, okay. So my wife is about to like, just drop it, you know, every once in a while it's okay. So then I said, hold on. And I call, I, t I call my daughter and I said, come here. 
and I hug her and I go, why are you, why are you screaming like that? And she's like really ashamed. <laughs> and I said, I said, mama just asked you to put your shoes away. What's the problem? She says, Baba, all day everyone just tells me to do different things. She goes, my day is so long. She said this. Wallahi, it was like, it was like an intelligent encyclopedia just entered her body. <laughs> she goes, all day, all day my teachers tell me, do this, do that. My classmates say, do this, do that. She goes, I'm just tired. And I was like, girl, me too. <laughs> Wallahi, me too. But I, I, looked, I looked at my wife and we were just stunned that when people are carrying burden, when people are carrying burden, they don't respond normally. She's carrying the burden of being a four-year-old that was treated. You know what I mean? And subhanAllah, she responded in a way that was so inappropriate, uncharacteristic. But if we didn't have mercy upon her, it would have just destroyed the entire night. You parents know what I'm talking about. So then, <laughs> so <laughs> kids don't say anything when I'm talking about parents, okay? So, and then I look at her and I say, okay, five minutes and then do what mama told you. Okay, fine. But subhanAllah, and then we come here and read this tonight. Now, obviously that's not a real test, but to her it felt like a test. So we have to have mercy with people, man. We have to have mercy. You know, Allah Ta'ala told us, have mercy upon, or the Prophet said that, have mercy upon people, Allah will have mercy upon you. Allah Ta'ala will have mercy upon you. Okay? So let's go back to the book now. And this is also a very important point for another reason, which is I want you guys to remember that every single point that he's mentioned so far, you may or may not connect with these. So he mentions like Allah tests you to remind you of your humble, your, your humility and his greatness and to clean your sins and to bring you closer to him and to remind you of making dua. These are not all mandatory for everybody. But what this is, is maybe you have something that resonates with you particularly, okay? So I'll share with you a story and I've shared this story before, but it fits here perfectly about why you're going through your tough time. Everyone, I want you to think right now about the tough time that you're in right now, the difficulty that you are going through right now. I want you to think about it. Hold it in your, right, in your heart, in your mind's eye. I told you guys the stories before about my, my, my mentor, my good friend. He's, he's a, a very successful, mashallah, very accoladed physician. And I remember when I was a kid growing up, he was somebody that would give khutbahs. Uh, I remember he gave some amazing khutbahs and still does till today. And he was one of those guys in our community that was like, mashallah, successful. And, you know, he got married and everyone was at his wedding. And it was just one of those stories, you know. And he had, mashallah, a daughter and he had some, you know, he had kids. But his eldest daughter, uh, you know, she was somebody that everybody knew because he was kind of like the first in the community, in the Egyptian community where I was from, uh, where I am from, I should say, where uh, we all celebrated, right, his, mashallah, happiness. Um, when his daughter reached, you know, her teen years, she, uh, she was tested by Allah and the family was tested that she was diagnosed with a, a very, very severe degenerative disease. And in that diagnosis, she um, lost slowly her faculty to walk and to move and to, you know, function really until eventually when she was in her early teens, she passed away. May Allah Ta'ala have mercy on her. May Allah Ta'ala make her passing a means of Jannah for her and her family. 
And may Allah Ta'ala reunite them in Al-Firdaus Al-A'la with the Prophet I cannot imagine that. I cannot. I absolutely cannot imagine losing, uh, you know, SubhanAllah. The Prophet went through that, not just once, right? He lost his children, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And that's one of the reasons why he is Rahmatan Alameen. He's a mercy for everybody. But part of our job is that if we want to be close to him, we are also going to be tested and we also have to become Rahmah for people. Now, I met this specific brother, the father. I met him after a long time and I was in Chicago recently and I was actually reading from this book. And I was doing a lecture at a masjid and I was reading this and I read this point. And he pulled me aside after the lecture and he, he actually drove me uh, you know, back home and he actually told me something very personal. And I'll share it here. I, I have his permission to share it, but I'll share it with you. He told me that when he lost his daughter, and he's a physician, so he was acutely aware of like everything that was happening. Right? He says when he lost his daughter, he entered into a very, very challenging state for any Muslim but an honest one. And that was he developed a deep sense of frustration with the world. You can imagine as a person has to bury a loved one and then as they're driving home from the most traumatic thing they've experienced till that date and they see people living their life, you become upset, frustrated, resentful, even angry at people for living their normal life when you have just had the greatest loss of your life. And this is, by the way, a common feeling. It's called grief. And when a person is grieving, it's easy for that grief to turn into anger when you see other people that are not reflecting your grief even though they don't know. It's, an, it's irrational, but it happens. So he was saying he had this deep, this deep grief he was struggling with. And he said to me, I kept it at bay. You know, like when it came to like others and this and that, I processed, I kept it at bay. And he goes, and I, I, I never ever said that to Allah ever. I never ever complained or complained about Allah or to Allah, but I never wanted to talk about her. I don't want to like, I don't want to go through it. Like it was hurtful and I don't want to live through it. This is what he told me. And he said, and everybody would come and they would try to sort of like give me reasons. And I would go to lectures and listen to Mashaikh and I would, and they would, I would always ask them, why would, why would this happen? Why would my daughter get taken from me? She was so young. She was so full of promise, etc., etc. And he said that until you read this line tonight, <laughs> And I don't take credit, but, you know, I was sharing <coughs> something that was written a thousand years ago. He said, until you read this line tonight, he goes, I didn't realize, like, one of the wisdoms in this. And he goes, because I think to myself that when I'm in the hospital and I'm working, because he's critical care, he said, one of the things that my staff knows about me is that I lost my daughter. And so when there's another family in the hospital that's in the process of being told or has been told that they're going to lose their child, the grief they're experiencing comes out in different ways. And a lot of times there's frustration and anger, there's desperation, there's a lot of being upset with the staff, nurses, techs, doctors themselves, you can do more, you haven't done this, etc., etc. And this is all normal, by the way. And he said, because my staff knows my life and my situation, Whenever a situation like this happens and I'm working, they page me to that room. 
and I walk into the room and I look at the parents and I say, my name is Dr. So-and-so. And 10 years ago, I lost my daughter when she was 13. And he says, just uttering that sentence completely and totally changes everything in the room. Why? Because the people are looking at somebody that they see who has also been tested. Did it take away their test? No. Did it take away his test? No. What happened? They were able to look at someone that Allah has also put an affliction in their life and they're able to see that there is something beyond, that they will be able to find meaning and purpose. And he's telling me this story and he's getting emotional and he's saying, what? I am now understanding partially that maybe part of my daughter's legacy was that she is a mercy for everybody who's losing a child. <laughs> like that's her. And he's saying like, what a legacy on the day of judgment that people gather and they point at her and say, because of her story, we found hope. And, and, and I'm, I'm listening to him and he's crying and I'm crying <laughs> And I'm saying to myself, subhanAllah, like, this is why these books are written. Because until you read that point, you think to yourself, Allah is testing me with no purpose. And you have these dark thoughts. And shaitan runs wild with those. And he makes you feel like this is all happening and it's just, it's just a, a Pandora's box and it means no sense. No, wallahi, every single thing makes sense. Look at the lives of the prophets. Look at the lives of Yusuf. Look at the life of Musa. Look at all of the messengers that lived through difficulty. And when they look back on their life, you can trace it back like a linear equation and you can find every variable and you can determine what the value of that test was. That's the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but all we have to do is trust from the beginning. And then Al-Iz bin Abdul Salam, he drops this beautiful live. He says, He says, Nobody understands the pain of those who have loved except those who have loved. It's a, po a line of poetry. And so, if nothing else, our job in the test that we're living is to now carry the legacy of the mercy of the Prophet ﷺ to other people. The layoff that you had, the death in your family that you experienced, the injury or illness diagnosis that you had, diagnosis that you had, the proposal that didn't work out, the try, you name it, you fill in the blank. I'm here to tell you that per the words of Al-Izbin Abdul Salam, looking at the Quran and the Hadith, he's telling you it's not a wasted purpose. There's, there is something there you can take that moment and become rahmah for somebody else. And now what happens? How many people, when you step in and help them, when they're standing in front of the Kaaba and their hajj, when they're making umrah, when it's the 27th night in the musalla, how many of them remember your name on their lips when they're making dua to Allah and you won't even remember their name? And this is one of the lines of the great scholars, I believe it was Imam al-Shafi'i or Ibn al-Qayyim, he said that there are so many people that will be entered into paradise because why? Because simply they will be on the lips of those who are making dua while they themselves will be asleep. You might be asleep in bed and there's 15, 20, 30 people that found inspiration in your trial and they'll be praying for you while you're resting. That's what we call efficiency.
right? So in your moment of difficulty, never let shaitan use that to turn you against Allah. No. Rather, recognize that this is something that Allah has given you in order to allow you to become rahmah, just like his prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I want to share with you one last narration before we break for the prayer. narrations narrated by Imam or found in the collection of Imam Ahmed and the narration says that on the day of judgment there will be the Prophet Sallallahu says do you want to do you want me to tell you in shi'tum do you want me to tell you he's talking to his companions I'm sorry he says do you want me to tell you what Allah will say first on the day of judgment to the believers and what they will say back to him and they respond, Na'am Ya Rasulullah. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ تَعَلَى يَقُولُ لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ هَلْ أَحْبَبْتُمْ لِقَائِي He will ask the believers on that day, Did you want to meet me? And they will say, فَيَقُولُونَ نَعْمْ يَا رَبَّنَا Oh Allah, yes, we did. فَيَقُولُ لِمَا Allah Ta'ala will ask the believers. And I want you guys to think about this after a person living their entire life of difficulty. When Allah Ta'ala asks you, throughout your life, you had this deep desperation to meet me. Why? And there's probably so many reasons that you could come up with now as to what you're going to talk to Allah about. What questions you're going to ask. Like, oh Allah, I really wanted that. Or I didn't want that. Why, why did that happen? I just want to see the behind the scenes. I want to know exactly what would have happened. I don't know if you guys are like me, but I have these moments in my life a lot. Like what would have happened if I made it to the NBA like I should have? Like what would have happened? You know what I mean? And so Allah asks you, did you want to meet me? And you're going to say, yes, yeah, Allah, I did. And he's going to ask you why. And out of every reason that you could come up with on that day, فَيَقُولُونَ رَجَوْنَ عَفْوَكَ وَمَغْفِرَتَكَ Oh Allah, we just wanted one thing. After that entire life of difficulty and confusion and moments where we were unsure, we made mistakes, O oh Allah. We just wanted your pardon, your mercy, Allah. We wanted your forgiveness. And Allah Ta'ala will say, Because you met me with this, you will have all of my forgiveness. You will have forgiveness that you want. Everything that is needed, it will be there for you. It will be mandatory for you. You know, this hadith was mentioned in this commentary and I, I believe that the author put it in for one reason only. And that is that sometimes amongst all of the difficulty that you experience, this is maybe the last thing that you will come to understand is, a, is the ultimate reason as to why anything that is distasteful or discomforting or difficult happens to us. Maybe on that day, the conversation that we have with Allah as a result of all of those challenges will lead to us simply being able to say, Oh Allah, I just wanted your mercy. And Allah Ta'ala will say, because you bore patiently, here's my mercy. And that's the day that we need it most. We ask Allah Ta'ala to forgive us for our shortcomings. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us those that receive his mercy and those that pass on his mercy to others. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us those that are beautiful on our inner and our outer, that our character reflects the character of his messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us trust in him and tawakkul. We ask Allah Ta'ala 
to allow the difficulties that we've experienced and that we are experiencing and will experience to be the reason why our sins are forgiven. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us people that we turn back to Him when we're being tested, that we don't turn away from Him. And we ask Allah to make us people that have mercy on others who are being tested and that we seek Allah Ta'ala's uh, uh, protection from tests and that we celebrate and we thank Allah when we are in a state of providence. Ameen Ya Rabbil Alameen. Subhanakallahumu bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka. Wa natubu ilayk. Jazakum Allah khairan everybody.